Uh, Two readings this evening from the book of Isaiah. The first from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 11. And as you will quickly see as we go into it, uh, this is a passage where the prophet Isaiah has a message of great hope that although there is darkness in his time covering the earth, uh, in, in a way like the uh, early stages of creation when darkness covered the face of the waters, there's thick darkness over the peoples, but it's going to change. The light is going to rise. It's going to go out, and peoples from all over uh, the world are going to come and join with uh, the descendants of Abraham in worshipping the Lord. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camel will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense, and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Kedar's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar, and I will adorn my glorious temple. Who are these that fly along like clouds, like doves to their nests? Surely the islands look to me. In the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your sons from afar with their silver and gold, to the honor of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Foreigners will rebuild your walls, and their kings will serve you. Though in anger I struck you, in favor I will show you compassion. Your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night, so that men may bring you the wealth of the nations, their kings led in triumphal procession. For those of you who were here for the reading of Revelation 21 this morning, you may recall that that last verse is echoed in Revelation 21 where the gates of the heavenly city always stand open, never shut, and the wealth of the nations uh, flow into it uh, from all around the world. That's our first reading, uh, and a number of the uh, themes that are developed there we can see in this earlier passage from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 49. You may wonder why we're starting in 60 and going back to 49, but 49 is the section that we're going to concentrate on this evening. Uh, So I thought it better to read it uh, second. So we're going to turn then back in the book of Isaiah to Isaiah chapter 49 and verses 1 to 7. 
And you'll see some of the same themes coming forward. This is one of the servant songs of Isaiah. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have, strength my, I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and rise up, princes will see and bow down, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. We see in this passage the Lord Jesus Christ, the faithful servant, the chosen one. Amen. God is going to give light to all nations. Light is a wonderful thing. It's a form of energy which sustains all life on our planet. It goes into the chlorophyll, produces the, uh, the plant crops that uh, sustain animal life sparkles off water, makes leaves glow. Uh, I think everyone feels better when the sun shines in brightness and light. Light is promised, and God is the giver of light. God is the source of light in the midst of darkness. I've already uh, referred back to the first chapter of the Bible, where darkness was over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And God saw that the light was good. Now we could go into the Gospel of John in the first chapter there. And there we have light and darkness contrasted, in a, uh, not just in a, in a physical sense, but in that broader uh, moral sense and John says in chapter 1 of the word of God who was coming, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who took on human flesh, he said, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. 
and going to the end of the book of Revelation, uh, the area where we were this morning, Revelation 22, 5, the Lord will be their light. Throughout the Bible, light is associated with appearances of the Almighty God and with his servants by association with him. Uh, you think of appearances of fire, uh, visions that Ezekiel and others have where uh, it, it's, it's like the brightest fire, this light that is emitted, uh, where the Lord's uh, garments on the Mount of Transfiguration, brighter than any human chemical process, the, the, the fullers of the time, any whiteness that they could produce, like this amazing radiance coming forward. The, the appearances in the Old Testament of God's glory over the temple at Mount Sinai, the Shekinah glory, it was associated with this, this cloud from which came lightning and rays of light. At Sinai in Ezekiel, you think when Moses came down the mountain, just because he'd been with God on the mountain, his face shone and the people were terrified of him. They thought, what kind of being has he turned into? And he had to, you remember, put the veil over his face uh, that they, they were, uh, the people were afraid he reflected that light from God. And as the light is associated with his servant, so too he, he transmits his light through his revelation of himself in the word. We sang that. Your word is a lamp. It's a light to me. A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Later in Psalm 119, there's a nice verse, and my, my quotes are from the ESV. The unfolding of your word gives light. Something nice about unfolding. The unfolding of your word gives light. And as we go through these things, it's a good time to stop and think, what have I actually done in the past week to seek that light, to open it and unfold the word to gain light? Or looking forward, what will I do this week to seek that light? How will I, how will I go about reading his word, meditating on it, thinking about it, marking it up, memorizing it. What, what am I going to do this week to get at that light, to unfold the word so that I can have light in my life? Because there's a lot of darkness, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of mist. God's word gives light, it informs our mind, it changes our attitude, sharpens our perception. Now, you could be listening to Thought for the Day uh, on the radio uh, in the morning, and uh, you might hear a Jew or a Muslim or a Hindu talking in some sense about light uh, coming from the divine. But the Christian message is that light does not come from general principles. God reveals himself in a person. 
And as we go through the book, law, the histories, the prophets, the wisdom books, the gospels, it is about a person who was coming, a per- one person in particular who would be that revelation of God. So God gives light. God gives light through Jesus Christ. Already read that that verse, John 1 and 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. When John the Baptist came, he came to bear witness about the light. Now, the light was in the world. Whenever then Jesus, as as an infant, is brought to the temple... There's that old man, Simeon, who's been waiting. He's, he's been immersed in the Old Testament promises, and it has been revealed to him uh, in some by, way by the work of God that he will see the coming chosen one. And in Luke chapter 2, when he sees the, uh, the, the baby Jesus, he says, "'My eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Not just a light that will will shed a brightness and shed God's glory in the land of Israel. This old man says, this is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. When Nicodemus came by night to see Jesus, Jesus said to him, the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light. The Lord said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not have darkness, but will have the light of life. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So this light is not to be found in Education, good as that is, or in general morality, or in a range of religious practice. It is only found through Jesus, the Son of God, the Chosen One, the Messiah, our Savior. Now, if you have your Bible opened again at Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 7, uh, we will... Uh, look through these verses in particular that bring us to this promise that he will make him as a light for the nations. Uh, This comes from the prophet Isaiah, preaching between 740 and 681 BC. Uh, He preaches in the southern kingdom of Judah. The land has already split Rehoboam's time, you have the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern of Judah. He preaches in the southern one of Judah, and during the time of his ministry, Israel will be uh, taken captive by Assyria, uh, and that land will, will fall. Uh, Micah, the prophet, is a contemporary of his. And within his, uh, his book, there are four uh, particular passages which are called servant songs. They are 
passages that you can you can distinguish uh, within it uh, that talk in particular about the Lord's servant. It's chapters 42, 49, 50, and 53. So these talk about the Lord's servant. Uh, Moses, you will remember, had been called uh, the Lord's servant. The Lord himself called him my servant Moses. And in the book of Deuteronomy, he said, I will raise up another like him, another servant. Now, as you read through Isaiah, he talks about different agents. There are five different uh, agencies that he talks about that God is going to use to bring about his purposes. Isaiah himself, sometimes speak of the way he's going to carry out his role. He talks about the voice, which is a reference to John the Baptist, who's to come, the voice in the wilderness. He talks about Cyrus, the king, which is a contemporary reference to the Persian ruler who is going to um, act in in, uh, support of God's people. Uh, He talks about the nation of Israel, And fifthly, the Messiah, this anointed one who's going to come in the future. But only Israel and Jesus are specifically given the title of servant. Israel was to serve God when Pharaoh said, let my people go. He said, let let him go that he may serve me. And there's a close relationship And sometimes uh, in these passages, the focus shifts from uh, the nation of Israel, who are to be God's servant, to the special chosen one who is coming in the future, who is linked to Israel, because he's going to be a descendant of Israel. He's going to be a substitute for Israel. He's going to suffer uh, and relieve his people. Uh, So often Israel is, is seen with him. Um, And he would be, so there's this relationship between the descendants of Abraham and the chosen descendant, who's sometimes called the seed, the Messiah. He would be the representative. Now the speaker in chapter 49 is identified as the servant of the Lord in um, verse 3. Verse 3 of chapter 49, he says, you are my servant. And he also calls him Israel. But it is clear that this is more than the physical people of Israel in Isaiah's time. It refers to the true believing Israel, whose perfect representative would be the true seed of Israel. One who was coming from amongst the Israelites, who would be a prince and a savior. So it speaks of him as, you are my servant. And we read in Philippians that Jesus Christ took the very nature of a servant, Philippians 2, verse 5, and was obedient unto death. He took the nature of a servant. Now the section begins by saying, Listen to me, O coastlands. In an earlier servant song, it says, In chapter 42, in his law, the islands will put their trust. And 
chapter 49 begins by saying, Listen to me, O coastlands, or some of your versions will have islands. The word means a strip of land across the sea. So that could mean an island, or it could mean a, a stretch of coastland on a, a, a larger piece. Uh, but there's something nice when we ourselves live in islands uh, to think of this summons to islands to listen to the servant of the Lord. Indeed, uh, <clears throat> we could think of various island groups where uh, the gospel has reached and where we uh, ourselves have missionaries. You think of the island of Cyprus, the island of Japan, uh, our own islands. So that the message is not to be restricted to the land, the promised land. It's not to be restricted to the people of Judah, where Isaiah is preaching. He's calling all these islands, lands that are still under thick darkness, he calls on them to hear this message. And he sees a time where they will look to the Lord's uh, Savior. It's not to be restricted to the, pe to the people of Judah, just as it's not to be restricted to the people of Ulster. This passage uh, shows the servant of the Lord being rejected, yet also being certain of God's faithfulness and reward. In verse 4, I have labored in vain. I've strength, spent my strength for nothing. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. We also see how uh, on the one hand, it's, uh, he's addressed as Israel in verse 3, and yet part of his mission is to bring back Israel in verse 6. Is it too late a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? So in a way, he's spoken of as Israel. He's the perfect descendant of Israel, and yet it's going to be his job to bring back Israel. So he's something more, something distinct from Israel. Listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. Jeremiah was set apart from the womb before he was born. Uh, and this speaks to us of the, the sanctity of human life and of the preciousness uh, of the child in the womb. Jeremiah was called from the womb. Paul, in Galatians 1, was called uh, from before birth. He's called and uh, he is named. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He wasn't just a, a body of cells. God had a purpose for this servant from before birth. He knew him. He knew him by name. And as we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect servant of God, uh, we think how before he was birth, before he was born, um, they would say, the virgin shall conceive and call his name Emmanuel. And when uh, the angel appeared to Mary in Luke chapter 1, you shall conceive and you shall call his name Jesus, from the body of my mother, he named my name. God had his purpose for his servant from before his birth. And this speaks especially 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, called and set apart uh, for his purpose, known uh, and determined for this. But we can think of us also. Uh, We're not just uh, a face in a mass of eight billion people. God knows us by name. He has his purposes for us in life. We do not know it. We do not always understand it. But he calls us. He calls his servants by name. There's an unusual picture of the servant in verse 2. Isaiah is full of wonderful um, pictures and and images. So what has this servant uh, got from his mouth? He made my mouth like a sharp sword. Now, your mind's thinking, I know that picture. And you're thinking of Revelation, where when John on the Isle of Patmos sees Jesus, he describes him in this blazing light, this this radiance coming from him, and he speaks of a sword coming from his mouth, representative of the word uh, as a sword. His mouth is like a sharp sword. Revelation 1.16, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Later in Revelation 19, where the rider goes out on the white horse to capture, uh, to take over the nations, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. A sharp sword coming from the mouth. What's it talking about? It's talking about the word of Christ. Hebrews 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword. So when we read this, we know who this is. Who is the servant who's going to appear again in Revelation? Uh, Whose word is it, we are told in Hebrews, is sharper than a two-edged sword? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. So this servant, 800 years before his birth, Isaiah is saying, somebody's going to be born. The Lord has his purpose for him. He's the perfect servant, and from his mouth it's going to be like a sharp sword. He goes on to speak of him that in the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. The servant is going to be a match for enemies both far. He's going to have enemies. These are are weapons of, of conflict. But he will be a match for them, whether close at hand with the sword or far away, the arrow is the long-distance weapon, uh, whilst the sword is a close-quarter weapon. He's going to be like a polished arrow or shaft. The Lord has his purpose, and his servant will go out and accomplish that for which he has sent. He will strike home. And he's described as being like a polished arrow or shaft, specially made, specially perfected for the task for which he is sent out. Now, a marksman, uh, a rifleman, uh, will not use standard ammunition that comes from the factory. He will take his own cartridge. He will load a certain amount of propellant into it. He will decide uh, what number of grains of propellant to use within that round. Uh, And he will prepare his own rounds for 
uh, Bisley or some of the uh, tests of marksmanship. And this polished arrow is that same sense specially prepared to strike and hit the target and achieve the Lord's purpose. A missile prepared by a craftsman and kept in a quiver and hid away or if the sword spoken of in the shadow of his hand he hid me quiver primarily is there for protection it protects the arrows until the bowman takes it out and we see we can trace that story that the lord has sent his people and the devil is out to destroy that people because the Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to come and carry out God's mission. So the devil wants to destroy the people of Israel. He wants to wipe out the Jews. And time and time again, you see Philistines coming. You see enemies coming from without and within to destroy the people of God. But God preserves them. For through them will come the seed of the woman. And there's a picture of that also in, in the book of Revelation where they seek to destroy uh, the one who will give birth to the child. It speaks of protection of the nation until the Messiah would come. Uh, it speaks too of uh, concealment. Uh, he was hid away until the appointed time. Uh, concealed in a way. There were pictures of his coming. But some of it was, uh, in a sense, hidden within types and shadows and pictures and prophecies until it was made blindingly clear with the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 2. Verse 3, he says to him, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. In John chapter 12, and the Lord Jesus Christ was troubled. He prayed, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God. Who is the perfect man? Who is the second Adam? Jesus Christ, who brings glory uh, to God, the servant in whom he will be glorified. In the Lord's high priestly prayer in John 17, the Lord prays, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Again, uh, a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ written 800 years before, Israel in whom I will be glorified. Verse 2, we've referred to this opposition that will appear, and yet this, in spite of seeming ill success for the time, he leaves the result with God, confident of final triumph, an example for all who seek to serve God in the world. And then this brings us through to uh, this wonderful uh, revelation uh, and this key phrase that we've been considering tonight in verse 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a mighty mission to bring back God's people uh, of Israel to himself. 
but it goes so much more and in a way that's suggested in so many different passages in the Old Testament. The Jews were not a great missionary people. You think of Jonah. He didn't want to have to go and speak to the the Gentiles, to the unclean nations, to these other people who were in darkness. But God says of his servant, it's not enough. It's too light a thing. You're too too, uh, important a servant only to do that. What I am going to do, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Uh, sometimes people talk nowadays as if Christianity is some kind of uh, European phenomenon or quirk. And they forget that we, our uh, ancestors, were uh, druids and carrying out uh, sacrifices to false gods and demons and woods and glens until the gospel came to our land and the light of the gospel was established Uh, It's not for any one nation. It's for all the nations of the world. What a wonderful revelation. This verse has been called the Great Commission of the Old Testament. Earlier in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah says, I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. Now, the Lord's missionary work did not end with his ascension. He has sent his spirit to carry on his work. And now his people are to be his witnesses, his ambassadors. He said in Matthew 5 to his disciples, and he says it through his word to us, you are the light of the world. He'd said, I am the light of the world. But he was going, but he was sending his spirit to his church. And now he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You're traveling through dark countryside, and then you see the glow on the horizon, and far ahead there's a a city uh, on a hill. You cannot hide it. Nor do people take a light and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light. Let your light shine before men. God gives light to the nations. He has done it uh, in in wonderful way through the Lord Jesus Christ, but now he sends out his people, and he says, you're to be my witnesses. You are to be the light. Don't let your light be hidden. Let your light shine before men. Um, In the book of Acts, uh, I think it was in Pisidian Antioch, uh, Paul and Barnabas explaining why they're going out to these other lands, why they're going to these uh, Gentiles, these other nations outside of the descendants of Abraham with this message. They quote this passage, and Paul and Barnabas said, Acts 13, 47, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. They quoted this verse from Isaiah. And the next verse says, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the Lord. The Gentiles would come. Your life as a believer has a meaning and a value. Because God the Father has sent the Son to bring you out of darkness 
into eternal fellowship with him. And he purposed this before the creation of the universe. He announced it in the ancient writings of the prophets. He is bringing it about by the working of his holy and powerful spirit and by his presence. And we who are his witnesses, who are to be the light, we are to be his servants. This is a servant song. We too are to serve the Most High. Deuteronomy 10. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. There's a Bob Dylan song, You've Got to Serve Somebody. You've got to pick who you're going to serve. Choose ye this day whom ye will serve.